grab your Bibles. Um, Hebrews, Hebrews 13. We've been marching through this book for a while. I think we're spending like 30 weeks in total in this book. And we've got to chapter 13. And it starts to get a bit more practical. And we've been moving pretty slow, just a, a verse or two at a time. And then today we just have two verses as well. They're not even next to each other, but they raise an issue that we need to talk about. And it's a little bit of a family talk, so if you're visiting, we're glad that you're here, um, and, and this is something that would be good for you to listen in to as well. Um, but the things that it addresses is kind of like insider talk for us, but uh, it comes up in Hebrews, and this is the book we're going through, so we're going to talk about it. So a question to start off. First, how many of you have ever been frustrated uh, with leadership in a local church? Okay, some of your hands went up fast and passionate. <laughs> I'm sure that's like somewhere else, not here, uh, but let's go there. Let's do How many here have been frustrated with the leadership at Veritas Church? Come on, like you didn't do something you wanted them to do. You didn't do, like, you think we're taking names right now. Michael, see, write those down. Who's that? Right, no, no, it's okay to be honest. Like, as, as one of the elders in this church, do you know how often we're frustrated with one of you? I'm serious, like... A church this size, there's not a week that goes by without somebody in this church doing something stupid. Right? You, know, you look around and you laugh and be like, yeah, I could see that. Probabilities wise. It, I mean, it happens. And sometimes it's the people leading this church that do something stupid. Like, we have to apologize. We're like, oh, we shouldn't have done that. We shouldn't have said that. We've got to fix this. It's like, this is just the deal. Like, this is the deal until Christ returns. Until Christ returns to be our king and establish his kingdom then whatever government and political leaders we have, that's what we got. And until Christ returns and reunites us with our Heavenly Father, then whatever parents you got, that's what you got. And until Christ comes and rescues His church, the bride of Christ, and we're together with every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Jesus, then whatever church you got, that's what you got. Like, this is the deal. But God thinks... That citizens need governed. And that kids need parents. And that his people, his, his people that are following Christ need pastored. They need shepherd. They need people looking over them. They need overseers. So here's, here's my question. Do you feel like you have spiritual leaders in your life? Or let me put it this way. Do you feel like you've embraced spiritual leadership into your life? Or let me put it a little bit more offensive. Do you have people in your life who are a spiritual authority in your life? Now, we hear that word authority and we're like, Ugh, I don't like, like, no, I mean, advisors, maybe, <laughs> I'll listen, but like authority that we kind of cringe against that, that word. But what if I told you that all of us, all of us are to have spiritual leaders in our life that we obey and submit to? Like, we don't like those words, right? But, but they come up in our text, so let's read it. In fact, uh, the two verses, I'll read both of them that we're going to look into. But the first one is in Hebrews 13, chapter, or verse 7. He says this. <clears throat> Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's the first kind of commandment addressing leaders. Here's the second one in verse 17. This is where it gets really fun. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I got to just address some of the awkwardness for me teaching this passage as one of the elders in the church, one of your pastors. Um, it feels like, you know, when parents uh, leave and they 
you know, put a kid in charge. You're like, okay, while we're gone, you know, your sister's in charge. And then she turns around and says, you got to do everything I say. And the parents kind of immediately regret that decision. Like, oh, this is not going to go well. Like for me to address this, this text, it's like, oh, well, this is, this is awkward, but, but it's in here and it speaks to this. But I think if we kind of better understood what he's saying and why he's saying it, we would, we would more likely embrace it. Like it wouldn't be as repulsive as maybe our culture wants us to think that it is. But we have to better understand what's being said and why it's being said. So here's the question that I want to pose to all of us. Why should we welcome spiritual leadership into our life? Why should we welcome spiritual leadership into our life? And as we get further, there's actually a deeper question underneath that question that we're going to get to as well. But let's, let's start there. And first, let's kind of get some context uh, to what the church is, that he's talking about leadership within it. And we're not going to go about all the way back to the Old Testament and kind of understand the people of God, but let's kind of start in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's the first time um, that we get this word church or ecclesia, this kind of assembled ones. And, and Jesus says to his disciples, um, spe- specifically Peter, that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, Jesus says, I'm going to do something with my people. Like I'm going to have a gathering of of my people and I'm going to do something and there's going to be no way in hell to stop it. So you get this introduction of like, oh, God's going to do like Christ is building his people. And then last year we, we studied 1 Corinthians, and in 1 Corinthians 12, you remember kind of this a strange analogy where Paul's talking of the local church, not like universal church, but the local church is a body. It's like you all together are like the body of Christ. And there's different parts to the body. And he gets kind of silly, but he's like the hand can't say the foot and the ear can't say the eye. Like He's saying everybody in this body is important and everybody's valuable, but people have different parts to play. And then in Ephesians 4, Paul's talking again to this church, and he says that Christ gave um, as like a gift to the church some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as teachers, as shepherds. And he says he, he gave these people to the church to equip the saints for the work of service, to building up the whole body of Christ to love, to, the, to full maturity in Christ. Like, like there's people that have uh, positions of leadership inside a church. And then in Acts 14, as Paul's going around and planting new churches, he says that everywhere he goes, <clears throat> one of the things he does is he establishes elders And then he moves on. But I'm going to get a group of of people to lead this church before I move on. And it was a group. It was elders, plural. Like, it's not just one person. It's a group of people leading in plurality. And you see this pattern in, in Paul's ministry as he plants new churches. Now, it was never the idea that people were to blindly obey leaders. Like, that was never the concept. In fact, in Galatians chapter 1, he says this. But even if we, Paul, or the apostles... Or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Like it doesn't matter who you are. If you have the title leadership, if somebody strays from the gospel, somebody strays from the word of God, don't obey them. Like there was never this expectation just to obey leaders because they're leaders. Like there was a standard to which they were to live up to. Um, leaders were, were not seen to be above sin. In fact, this is in First Timothy. It says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that 
the rest may stand in fear. He's talking about elders who persist in sin. They need to be publicly rebuked. So it's not like this idea that elders can't sin or that the leadership in the church can't sin. In fact, he says when it happens... You need to publicly rebuke them to warn everybody that this is not okay. In fact, uh, Paul in Galatians talks about confronting Peter, the apostle Peter, like the Peter. He said, I confronted him to his face. Like he was not walking in accordance to the gospel. Like he was hanging out with all the Gentiles, but then other Jewish people came into town and he kind of got embarrassed. So he pulled back and he just hung out with the Jewish people. And Paul's like, that ain't right. Like, even though you're Peter, I'm calling you out to your face because you're not living in accordance to the gospel, which is the standard that is set for us. So it wasn't just like blindly obey leaders, and it wasn't that leaders couldn't wander our sin. In fact, there's a warning that leaders can go bad. This is in Acts 20. <coughs> um, Paul's meeting with uh, Ephesian elders kind of as he's passing through in his travels, and he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he ordained with his own blood. So he he loves his church. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, among you elders, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So you better watch, you better check yourself so even elders can go bad. And there was commands given to how elders were to lead. This is in 1 Peter 5. He says this. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God. This is the command given to the elders. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So he's not supposed to like just kind of be this domineering leader over people making unrealistic commands. It's like, no, you should joyfully be an example um, to, to the flock, watching over them. So that's kind of the backdrop of this church, Christ church, the one he's building and in this church, this gathered group of people that claim the name of Jesus, he's, so you're like a body, you're a functioning body, and everybody has parts to contribute. And I have gifted this church leaders to provide oversight to this church. Now, in that backdrop, we come to these verses in Hebrews, these challenging verses where he's saying, hey, obey your leaders and submit to them. And so, like, how do we, how do we understand this? Now, <clears throat> these two passages are addressed to church members. But they also say something to church leaders. So we're going to see what, it, what is it saying to church leaders, and then we're going to look at what it's saying to church members. So let's start back at verse 7. Here we go. It says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Now, first, right off the bat, a major responsibility of church leadership is to teach the word of God. Like, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You're to teach the word of God. And this is an issue of authority. It's like your authority among this flock that I put you in is not your own opinions. It's not your own ideas, but you've been commissioned to teach what I've said, which is a part of the great commission, right? All authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then what's next? Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Like I've made commands. You need to pass those on, right? Go, go feed my sheep. Go take care of them, but, but feed them my teachings. 
And this is the commission of leaders. They're to teach the word of God to people. Now, some teachers drift from this. And this is a warning to the church. This is in 2 Timothy. He says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Like, they don't want it. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. He's saying, hey, you can find teachers that can tell you whatever you want to hear. And you're like, well, I'll just go somewhere else. And I'm just going to find somebody I'm gonna, to tell me what I want to hear, what my itching ears want to hear. But the commission given to leadership in a church is to teach the word of God. Let's look at verse 7 again. He says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So church leadership is not just about what is being said or what is being taught but also what is being done. Like leadership is to model godly living. It's to be an example. One of the ways we talk about it as a staff and even on another team is we're to be passionate pace setters. Like we can't ask people to do things we're not doing. Like whatever we're calling our people to do, like we got to lead out in doing that. Or or the way Paul says it um, in one of his letters, it's like uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Like do you feel like you could say that to somebody? That's trying to follow Jesus. And they're like, I'm not quite sure how to do this. Oh, then just follow me because I'm following Jesus. Like, would you be able to say that? He's saying leadership and church should be able to say that to people. I'm following Christ. So if you want to know what it looks like, look at my life. Not in perfection. Even Paul's like, not that I've arrived, right? But this is what I'm striving to. But this is what he's saying leadership should say in a church. And in a local church, there are all kinds of levels or layers of leadership. So whether you like serve in the nursery or you lead uh, in salt or you lead in, in students, I mean, let's say that you, you're a seventh grade girls connection group leader on Wednesday nights. This applies to you. Like you're not leading that group to just give your opinions. You're there to help those girls understand the word of God and they should be able to look at your life and see like, oh, this is what it looks like lived out to be an example. And we should feel some weight of this. This is, this is weighty stuff. Look, look at verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. So keeping watch is the other thing leaders are called to do. Think of it like a watchman uh, at a watchtower of a city. Like when everybody else is going about their, their day or they're sleeping at night, somebody's in the watchtower and they're watching for danger. Like somebody has to have that perspective. Or think of it like a shepherd of a flock. Like, okay, the sheep are feeding, but I got to watch. Like, could some of the sheep fall over? Are the sheep biting each other? Is this one getting too close to the cliff? Did a wolf wander in? Like, somebody needs to kind of keep watch over the flock. And there are different vantage points that are looking for danger that is needed. And we all have blind spots. We all have blind spots. As we're kind of going about our life, and I just got my head down, and I'm trying to get my job done, and I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm trying to raise a family. Like, somebody needs to kind of have a lookout over your life of, like, are you wandering? Are you drifting? Are you believing lies? Is danger creeping into your life? It's like, we all need that. Now, that's hard for us in a world that kind of has this mindset of mind your own business, right? Like, I can take care of myself. We hear that, right? Maybe you say that. Maybe you think that. I can take care of myself. You need to mind your own business. The problem is, like, part of the business of church leadership is not minding our own business. It's keeping watch. It's looking out. 
Where are the dangers? Where are the traps? Where are you wandering? Where are you drifting? So, okay, the means of leadership. These are kind of the directives we see in these two verses that are giving two leaders in the church. And he's saying, hey, you need to, um, you need to teach, you need to model, and you need to watch. Like, that's the expectation in these passages for leaders. They, they, you need, and these are the expectations you should have for your leaders. That we need to teach the Word of God, not our opinions, but we need to teach the Word of God. We need to model godly living. That you should expect your leaders to be able to say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not perfect, but I'm striving here. I want to be a pace hitter. You should be able to expect your leaders to keep watch over the flock. Where does care need to be provided? Where does help need to be provided? Where is danger creeping in? Like those are expectations that you should have for your leaders. And there's some weight to this role. Look at verse 17 again. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account. As those who will have to give an account. That's fun. Or just one page over for me in James chapter 3 verse 1. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So we got that to look forward to. But there's a responsibility or a weight of like you're, you're leading my flock, my, my church, my, my people. And there's a responsibility or an accountability to that. Leadership is stewardship. <clears throat> Leadership is stewardship. Like there's, there's going to be a final job review someday for leaders, church leaders. Like did, did, you, did you teach my word or did you just tell people what their itching ears wanted to hear? Like, did you make your congregation happy? Did they love you or or did I love you and I'm happy with the job that you did? Did did you watch out? Did you speak up? Did you care for people's souls? Were you in it for your own gain? Like, there's an accountability to leadership. Now, leaders in this church, whether you're a connection group leader in student ministry, whatever, like, feel the weight of that. Like, that's a healthy thing to feel the weight of that, that there's an accountability in this role. But church, we should all feel God's care in it too. Like God set up this system of care and oversight because he cares for you. Like this this exists and it expresses God's concern and care for his people. Like until I return, I'm gifting, I'm giving you people to watch out for your soul to care about you, to teach the Word of God. I'm, I'm putting you in a context uh, to protect you because I care for you. Like, think about it when, when a parent leaves and they get a babysitter. <laughs> like, why do they do that? Because they care for their kids. <laughs> and while they're away, they want somebody to look out for their children. Somebody's going to be in charge. And it's like, that, the babysitter, that's not their kids. But, but they've been commissioned or given a responsibility, like, hey, while I'm gone, watch after my kids. So there's directives given to church leaders in this, these two passages, but there's also directives given to church members. And, and if you, I mean, don't read too much into it, but if you think of that analogy of, of a babysitter coming over to a kid, there's times when a parent speaks both to the babysitter and to the kids, right? <laughs> Because you're going to speak to the babysitter and you're just like, all right, bedtime's at nine. No matter what they tell you, candy is not for dinner. 
And no, we do not allow our nine-year-old to watch rated R movies. So don't be duped. Like you need to make sure they get to bed on time and fed well and, and, and looked after, right? And they give these commands kind of to the babysitter, these directives. And then they turn to their kids and say, now you be good for the babysitter. Like they get less, like you be good, like you obey, you comply. That's kind of what's happening here. Like, hey, these are, this is my church and these are my people and you teach them my words and my teachings and you model godly living for them and you watch after their souls, right? And then he turns to the church and he's like, no, you'd be good for these leaders until I get back. Like, like follow well is the directives that he gives. Now let's take a look at what he tells them. So go to verse seven. Here's what he says. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So we got some verbs to look at here. He's saying, remember, consider, imitate. Like all this is coming out in this verse. He's like, remember. Now it could be like, remember as in your past leaders. Like remember the the people that planted this church or established this church and kind of laid the foundation of the word of God. It could go even further back from that, like in the context of chapter 11, where you get kind of the hall of faith and all these Old Testament saints. Like remember these people, remember how they lived, remember their way of life. But he's calling them to remember past leaders. And he's saying, consider the outcome of their life. Like, well, boy, if we go back to chapter 11, what was the outcome of their life? They were sawed in half and fed to the lions. It's like, okay, remember their life. Remember these leaders. They they taught you the word of God and, and consider the outcome of their life. Like, know what you're getting yourself into. This is a sacrificial calling. And it led to, to pain and suffering and outcasts. But, but as you consider the outcome of their life, what you also see is displays of joy and peace and contentment that they modeled, like this is the way of life that you should embrace. And then it says, imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. This is, these are people you should be imitating and following. Now, just to, to be upfront with you, a lot of times when it comes to people looking for a church home or a church family, the questions that we tend to ask in a very kind of consumeristic mindset is, is it close to my house? <laughs> Do I like the music? Do they have good coffee? Do I like the preaching? Do they have good kids ministry? Like what kind of things can I consume here that I enjoy in this, in this church? Did this be my church? And not, not all those questions are bad questions. Um, I mean, the coffee one's pretty shallow, but I mean, the rest of the ones, like you want to consider your family or kids and the ministry, that's all a good thing. But, but in this passage, what we're seeing is the kind of question that we should be asking when it comes to picking a church is, are, are these people the people I want to imitate? Are these the people that I want teaching me the word of God? Are these people that I want watching after my soul and calling me out and holding me accountable? Do I want to be like these people? Do I want to be led by these people? And then we get real tough. Verse 17. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now that word for obey is a softer word for obey than what you might think when you hear it. It's a different word than the word that gets used when the command for children to obey their parents. That word is like, you better do what I say, kind of obey, right? This obey is, is different. In fact, the author of Hebrews uses this same word two other times in the book of Hebrews. It gets translated differently in uh 
chapter 2, verse 13, he uses this word, but it gets translated trust, not obey. And then in 6, 9, he uses this same word, but it gets translated, we are convinced or we feel sure. So it's like, okay, it's getting translated different ways, and why is it obey here? Like, what is he getting at here? And what he's saying is to obey, um, so obey here is what you do when you trust someone and you've been persuaded by them. It's what you do when you trust someone and you've been persuaded by them. But he translates it obey. So why did he do that? Why did he translate it obey here and not in other places? Because the, the, the point he wants to make is that members of a church should have a readiness to comply or, or a posture of trust. Like when you come to church, you can say, like, you got to have this attitude like, I want to be shaped by you. My heart is open to your teaching of the word of God. I want to learn it. I trust you. There's credibility and I'm leaning in. Like that's the posture that church members should take. And it says, obey your leaders. Not obey leaders, but obey your leaders. As there is a specific leaders to you in your location, in your context. Now, I know we live in a a day where everyone has access to like the greatest Bible teachers uh, around the whole world or even throughout history. The books that we have uh, get online and you can listen to anybody and it's great. I hope you do that. Like soak up as much word of the God as you can by some amazing teachers. But we can we can be in this context and we can kind of think like, oh, these are my leaders, right? I'm led by this guy, and I'm led by that guy, and I'm led by, you know, I, I, I love this author, I love this preacher, I love this pastor. But they're not your pastor. Like, they don't know you. They don't, they don't know your struggles. They're not in context with you. They're not in relationship with you. They don't see how you speak to your spouse or how you handle your money or what you show up to and what you don't show up to. Like, you need local leadership. People that can observe you, that are in context with you, that have relationship with you, are connected and can challenge and rebuke and encourage. Like this, this is what we're called to. Now, this also doesn't give room for freelancing. You know what I mean by freelancing? Where there's some people, it's just like, well, I'm in the church, universal. It's like, yeah, what church do you go to? I just, I go here sometimes, and sometimes I go here, and sometimes I visit this church. It's like, you know, we're just all one big church. It's like, yeah, spiritually. Someday that's going to be a reality. Well, that's not how it's set up now. So who are your leaders? Who are your leaders? Like, listen, listen to me. If you're a Christian, you should be able to answer the question, who are your leaders? Who are your spiritual leaders? And if you answer that question with dead people or people that aren't local, then you don't get what he's saying here. And there's always some, you know, 20-year-old that just graduated, graduated Bible college, you're like, well, Calvin, like you read the Institutes. Like, he don't know you. Like, Calvin don't know you. Like, you need pastors. You need local leaders that are involved in your life. And he's saying, obey and submit to your leaders in your context. Be tethered to a body here. Now, here's how it ends. Verse 17. <clears throat> it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And what he's saying is that it is an advantage to you to joyfully follow godly leadership. Like he puts it in the negative. Like if you're a difficult person to, to lead, that's not going to end up being good for you. Like if the people leading you, 
if their kind of demeanor towards leading you is like, oh, not them again. This is gonna, this is going to be a long phone call, right? If that's kind of their demeanor, it's like that ultimately is not benefit you. If you're not a joy to lead, he's saying be, be a joy to lead. Otherwise, like uh, it's an advantage to you to be a joyful person to lead. Now, why? Why is it to your advantage? Look back at the beginning of verse 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them for or because this is the motivation for you to do this. They are keeping watch over your souls. They are keeping watch over your souls. So before we said the means of leadership was teaching and modeling and watching. Those things should exist in leadership. But here we see what the aim of leadership is. And the aim of leadership is the care of your soul. Like there's different ways that leaders should do that. They should teach the word of God and they should watch out for you and they should model godly living. But, but the aim, the goal, is the health of your soul. And our, our world talks a lot about physical health or mental health or emotional health. But it seems like soul health can be a neglected thing. So, so this is what it comes down to. And I, I told you there's, there's a deeper question underneath why you should embrace spiritual leadership in your life. Here's the deeper question. Do you care for your soul? Is the health of your soul important to you? Do you, do you care for the health of your soul? And if so, how? How are you caring for your soul? How are you doing that? And maybe you should care for your soul more than you do. Because if I ask you that question of like, well, how are you caring for your soul? And you're like, well, I think I just need to get a good night's rest and get some more me time. Then your ignorance is showing. Because that's what I mean by your soul. There's something deeper that needs our attention and needs to be cared for. I mean, Jesus told us, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Like what, basically what he's saying, what good if you're like in the best shape of your life, got the best job you can imagine, are happy taking the best vacations, but you lose your soul. It's like, well, what good is that? And what he's saying is like, there should be a priority of soul care in our life. Like we should prioritize it. So let me ask you again, how's your soul? Do you think you have a healthy soul? Think your soul is good? And maybe when I ask that question, what you're thinking right now is, well, what exactly is a soul? And how do I care for it? Or do I go to a soul doctor? Do I listen to soul music? I mean, is this something Sam Cooke can help me with? Like, I don't, how do, we, don't we don't even know. So that's maybe that why it's somewhat neglected. Dallas Willard, who's an author uh, I enjoy, he wrote, your soul is the most important thing about you. It's your life. And sometimes it can be hard for us to define, but your soul is the essence of you. It's the you that still exists after your body dies. And guys, we spend so much time caring for our body. Right? It, it's, it's my temple. It's the temple of the Lord, right? Okay, that's great. That, doesn't, that verse isn't an advocate for just exercise all the time. There's something deeper. He's talking, he's talking about sexual morality. But he's saying, listen, we, we spend so much time caring for our bodies. We waste so much care in our, our mental health. So, like, what about your soul health? 
We tend to neglect that. I'm not talking about emotional health. I'm not talking about mental health. I'm not talking about physical health. This isn't about like, hey, I just need to get some rest. What I'm saying is you are more than flesh and blood. You, you are a soul. You were made by God, for God, and the essence of you, your soul, is most healthy, connected, and right relationship to God. Let me, let me tell you that again, because this is kind of the foundation for healthy souls. You were made by God. For God. And the health of your soul is about being rightly connected to God. Like Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Like there's one thing that can give your soul rest. And it's Jesus Christ. It's not a vacation it's not a more fulfilling job. It's not an other right relationship or a man or a woman. And we try, to, we try to feed it like, I just want to satisfy my soul. And you will find it not satisfying. There's something you were, like you were made for God. You were made by God and you were made for God. And there's a part of you that can only be satisfied by God. And Jesus is saying like, well, yoke yourself to me and I will satisfy your soul. Psalm 107.9 says, for he, talking about God, satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And sometimes we try to, we try to like fill that longing with other things. But only God can feed your soul, can satisfy your soul. In Deuteronomy 4, Moses is commanding the people to obey God and he says this says, only take care and keep your soul diligently. Like you need to be diligent at keeping your soul. Okay, well, how do we do that? So the command is to keep your soul diligently. At least you forget the things that your eyes have seen. At least you, they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I might let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they may that they live on the earth and that they have to teach their children so. Basically saying, I want you to diligently keep your soul. Okay, well, how do I do that? What does that mean? Least you forget. Like, here's what's behind not keeping your soul. Forgetting God. Neglecting God. Just kind of going off with life and not keeping God at the center of it. He's saying, your soul's going to feel that. But, but if you want to diligently have a healthy soul, then you need to keep God in front of you. Keeping your soul is about not forgetting God. It's about remembering who life comes from and what life is about. And too often we make life about stuff life's not ultimately about. And it suffocates your soul. When you chase after sin that grieves God, and you keep it in your life unrepentant, it suffocates your soul. And sometimes you just feel like, well, I shouldn't do it. Why? Because it's wrong. Yeah, it's wrong. And it separates you from God. And yeah, but, but there's something underneath that you understand. Like, it's killing your soul. It's, it's shriveling it up when it's meant to thrive. When you neglect God and you go on with life chasing other things, and you don't keep God as the priority that he's made, it affects your soul. Your dissonance, your demeanor. That hole that you don't quite know how to fill. When you don't get the word of God in your life 
It's not just about not keeping up with the Bible reading plan. You have a malnourished soul. And it affects your life. And we need to care for our souls. Guys, listen. Church leadership is commissioned to watch over people's souls. To keep the word of God in front of people. To watch out. To see where wandering and drifting is happening. To model godly living. And your soul is the most important thing about you. And I would say that there's a lot of things in our world, because we don't recognize the soul like we should, that go misdiagnosed. Maybe you have an emotional problem. Maybe you have a marriage problem. Maybe you have a mental problem. Perhaps what you really have is a soul problem. Because God is not in the place that he should be in your life. So why should you welcome spiritual leadership in your life? The health of your soul depends upon it. So put it this way. Healthy souls need spiritual leaders. Healthy souls need spiritual leaders. So here's the call to action. There are a lot of different verbs in these two verses. Basically, remember, consider, imitate, obey, submit. But it all comes down to this. It comes down to our posture, our attitude towards spiritual leadership and authority. And he's saying, lean in. Like, welcome it. See the value of it. Embrace it. Be, Be a joy to lead. Like, would your connection group leader feel like, I love leading this person. They're always here with their Bible open. They they always receive challenge well. Like, this is a person I want to lead. Like, let that be said of you. And just because I'm the lead pastor here or one of the elders, I mean, it doesn't apply to me either. Like, I want to be somebody who can be led when, when other elders come around me and say, hey, here's a rebuke or here's a challenge. I want to receive that well. Like, this is something we all need. We need other people looking after our soul. So, so here's, here's the dream. In a world where there's already kind of a distrust towards leadership and organizations and institutions, um, or even when it comes to church, Veritas is a big church, so therefore it must be impersonal and they must not care. Our dream is the relationships at Veritas between people, between members and leadership, would be defined by care and trust. That we would trust each other, that we would care for each other, that there would be healthy community that exists here. And even despite the size, that you would feel like this is a family. And that, that doesn't happen through programming, it happens through relationships and how we treat each other. And the fruit of the Spirit being born through our life and each other enjoying the love and peace and patience and kindness that exudes from all of us. And I'm not talking about perfection. Because we're sinners and we're going to sin against each other, but that just presents a great opportunity to model grace and forgiveness. And if we're going to get there, then then here's how it's going to happen. It's going to happen for all of us having a shared passion for healthy souls. And understanding to have healthy souls, that we need God to have healthy souls. And if that's the case, then we would have leaders in this church that care for your soul which means they're going to teach the word of God, whether it's popular or not, whether you want to hear it or not. They're going to teach the word of God. They're going to model to the best of their ability a a godly life of living for Jesus Christ. They're going to keep a watch. They're not going to mind their own business. They're going to have their eyes into your life, caring for your soul. And if you care for healthy souls, it means you're going to welcome it. Yeah, give me the word of God. Please watch over my life. Show me what it looks like to follow Jesus. And guys, 
God set this system up until he returns. And he set this system up because he cares. And if you're questioning that, we can trust God in all this. Because no one cares more for your soul than him who gave his life to redeem you. That his body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you. So when we come to a time of reflecting God's care for you that he demonstrated on the cross, would you please acknowledge God's care for you in establishing the church and lean into it? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Um, And we say that because you first loved us. You showed it on the cross. You showed it in the gifts you give your body, the church. Um, And even though we're a group of imperfect, struggling sinners, your spirit is with us. You work um, through our imperfections. And I pray that we would be a church that pleases you. That as leaders in this church, we would care for the souls of everybody in here. And I pray that we would be a group of people that prioritize the health of our soul when together we would run hard after you, knowing that you ran to us in Jesus Christ. I pray this in your name. Amen.